Hello, fellow kids. Uh, Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast, episode 921. If you're just joining us, you missed a fascinating conversation about uh, movies. Breaking. Breaking 2. We talked about, um, well, just a bunch of movie stuff that we talked about in relation to this week's top five that you will be able to hear later this week in the Major Spoilers um, Plus streaming feed. Uh, Or if you have already subscribed to the top five podcast, you will be getting that in a few days. Uh, we record that before we get to before we get to this show. It's always a good time. Gets us warmed up, ready to talk about things. This week, you'll notice our intro is a little bit different. No, we're not doing a general topic episode. This week, it's a mailbag episode. We haven't done a mailbag episode in a long, 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 long time on this show. Uh, I don't know if it's even been four years, has it? I want to think it's been longer than that. Seven years. It might be seven years um, because I still have um, buried deep, 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 deep. Uh, usually whenever I build the thumbnail for this, I just bring in a new image and make it its own layer. And so, you know, I've got like 100 layers deep that occasionally I'm like, man, I need to clean this out. And it wasn't too long ago that I was cleaning out hundreds of layers of stuff and found the original mailbag uh, image that I used. So we'll see if that we'll see if that appears in this uh, in this episode or not. But Matthew is here. Rodrigo is here. No, Ashley this week. I don't know. She sometimes when she gets off of the work that she does uh, doing a lot of super secret things, I think she's secretly a secret agent, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, sometimes dealing with L.A. traffic, trying to get home in time to do this show is a little rough. Um, Plus, she just moved. And so who knows if she even has Internet access yet? I don't even know if she has Internet access yet. So that is why she's not here this week. But there's some really good uh, questions in here. Uh, I, I might suggest you go and listen to the most recent geek history lesson, or maybe it was two times ago, a geek history lesson. They've been doing a series on Godzilla and I just didn't realize how big of a Godzilla nerd that Ashley really is. So if you want to see her drop some Godzilla knowledge on you, uh, go and listen to those last couple of uh, geek history lesson episodes. They're really, really good. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you want to listen to that pre-show where we're talking about movies and top five uh, stuff, um, then you need to become a major spoilers patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, the cool thing is during the month of April and during the month of April only, if you sign up with our new yearly membership, you can get 16% off during the month of April. So you want to become a $10 member, $10 a month member, and you want to get access to the VIP live chat and the flashback episodes and critical hit a week early and a bunch of other things. You don't have to pay for a full year. You're only going to have to pay for 10 months and the other two are free, but only during the month of April when you sign up over at patreon.com slash major spoilers certainly helps us out. And uh, I think you get a lot of bonus content, Matthew, um, in in addition to that, right? Mm -hmm. You get exclusive podcasts. Yeah. uh, The flashback podcast that we do all about the CW series, The Flash. Um, uh, We've got a a new poll up for uh, Why Do You Hate Me? which is an exclusive review that you only find on our Patreon page. Like I said, you get access to the VIP live chat where we talk to you uh, once a month about what's going on at major spoilers behind the scenes. So like this weekend, Rodrigo, the site was down, went down Friday afternoon, surprisingly came back up Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening uh, because Mm -hmm. of our, uh, the fine folks over at Rackspace who are upgrading our server. Uh, If it was surprising to you, dear listener going, Oh my gosh, I couldn't get my podcast feeds over the weekend. Um, you would have known if you were a VIP uh, member at the the, the gold level. Uh, we talked about it clear back in like February is when we started planning this server upgrade over the Easter weekend. And I was just so great how uh, Rackspace 
constantly uh, under promises and over delivers. Mm-hmm. That's how good they are, because they were like the guy who was doing is like, look, I'm going to do this as a favor to you. Uh, but I don't come back into the office on Tuesday until Tuesday. And I was like, oh, great. So four or five days, that's not a big deal. And then I just casually sat down Saturday afternoon, just not planning on the site being back up. And boom, there it was. And I was like, hey, this is great. And I went in and tweaked a few things and did a few things. And now we've got a little bit more space and some more things that can happen over at Majorspoilers.com. And so we're certainly uh, happy about that. And we certainly couldn't do it without all of our patrons. So if you've been sitting on the fence waiting to become a patron, now is the best time of, to do it. Sign up for that yearly membership at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We thank you so much in advance. Now, we got a bunch of of um, of emails uh, this week. And thank you to everybody who who sent things in, who tweeted at us, who went over to the Patreon and, and filled out their questions there. Uh, some of these got a little lengthy, so I'm not going to read them all the way through. But I think we can get to do some of the nude stuff. So let me reach into the mailbag and let's pull out our first letter. This one comes from John who says, hello, everyone. I've been watching Titans on HBO Max. This program gave me an interest in Robin since he he mentions he and Batman had a falling out. So with an unlimited subscription to Comixology, I'll search. A friend suggested I read the Dark Knight Returns series to be brought up to speed. Imagine my surprise when I see Robin as Carrie Kelly. It's my understanding that there are four Robins. Guys, help a new bout. Take me down the comics road from Dick Grayson to Carrie Kelly if it's not too much trouble. Take me through Nightwing also, please. So, first of all, <laughs> Dick Grayson, uh, the first yeah. Robin, appeared yeah. in 1940, I want to say, yeah. in the pages of Batman number one. Yeah. Um, he is Batman's primary ward, right? So, uh, uh, Dick's uh, family was murdered by the... Uh, the crime syndicate family, they were trapeze artists, and uh, Bruce Wayne was there, saw it happen, decided to adopt young Dick Grayson, and uh, secretly said, we will get revenge on these MFers who killed your family. Swear to me. Swear to me. Swear to me now. And Dick Grayson was like, yeah, sure. I will uh, wear some some pixie boots and some tidy, tidy green uh, underwears, and I will be your Robin. So there is the first Robin. And that yes. went for a long, 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 long time until years. the 80s when um, Dick Grayson kind of decided he didn't want to be Robin. He wanted to be his own man. He was part of the Titans and he decided to take on a new persona as Nightwing as an homage to Superman, which I know that sounds really, really weird. Mm-hmm. But um, at one point, uh, Superman and Robin, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy Olsen, they went to the bottled city of Candor and they took on the, um, I guess, Candor uh, or, or Krypton had some superheroes. What is it? Sunbird and Nightwing. Nightwing and Flamebird. Oh, Flamebird. That's right. Mm-hmm. And Superman was always so kind to to Dick and told him about these stories. And so he really liked the idea of Nightwing. And so that's where he, he came up with that persona. And of course, Dick is still Nightwing, although he went got a gunshot to the head or something recently and became Rick. Um, but now he's back to being Dick. And uh, that is that is Dick Grayson. So that is Robin one. And also, I think, gets you your Nightwing stuff. Yes. Then you have Robin two, Jason Todd. Uh, may I for just a quick second? Uh, chronologically speaking, it's important to note that the Nar- Dark Knight Returns was for all intents and purposes, an Elseworlds when it first came out. Yeah, pretty much. It was yeah. like a huge jump forward in time for Batman. And the backstory of that was filled in by the author and doesn't fit canonically into, you know, where Robin is at and blah, blah, blah. So right. when your friend was like, hey, I'll catch you up with the Dark Knight Returns, 
that is not a good idea. That is a like, <laughs> yeah, that's that a bad is very idea. much a it's an that's extremely a popular and beloved satellite of Batman stories. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff has been reincorporated into the um, the canon, but it's still kind of its own thing. So then we come to Robin too. So one day Batman's walking down the street and he's like, who stole the hubcaps off my Batmobile? And he goes around and sees a young uh, Jason Todd ripping off the hubcaps off of his. Now, this would be post-crisis. Um, right, ripping, the ripping the hubcaps off the Batmobile. And Batman is like, why, you little, you're going to pay Beth, pay me back for all of this. You're going to become my new Robin, swear to me. And uh, Jason Todd is like, sure, old man, I'll do whatever you say. And everybody hated Jason Todd. So much so that in the 80s, DC had a storyline that had the Joker pummeling uh, Robin to over the head with a crowbar. And they said, should Jason Todd live or die? Uh, this is the death in the family storyline. Call this 1-800 number and you can choose Robin's fate. And Matthew actually called this number and voted for Jason Todd to die. And DC Comics said, OK, we're going to make that happen. And so then yep. Jason Todd died. But he came After back after less than two years. Yeah, well, nobody liked Jason Todd. He was he was really somebody that, um, I think if you go from the happy attitude that that Dick Grayson had to the dark thoughts, uh, Jason Todd was really in a dark place. Kind of grew up on the streets, abusive uh, uh, home life, etc. Um, yeah. He he did a lot of things, and so much so that before the death in the family storyline, uh, he went up against a bad guy and. Uh, uh, on the balcony of a building and the guy fell to his death question mark. And Batman was like, what happened? And Jason Todd was like, eh, he slipped. And there's the implication is that he was pushed or he was not saved. Jason uh, had actually some serious uh, problems in his initial because pre-crisis Jason was essentially just Dick Grayson. He was yeah. literally the same character with the same origin. Mm -hmm. Then they retconned in the new origin and they went from being too similar to Dick to being too different. Yeah. They went way, way, way. They overcorrected. And then, of course, he was murdered with a stick. Yep. Murdered with a crowbar. Jason Todd is a great example of how everybody is somebody's that guy. Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Because it eventually got to the point in comics history where enough people had first picked up a Batman comic and, so, and seen Jason Todd as Robin. And then those people grew up to have spending money. And then DC brought Jason Todd back, and now he's around at any given point, just like anyone else, and gets his own comic and has his own sort of team. Yep. So that that's that's a great example that that just happens in comics. Yep. And he is current. His current Jason Todd's current uh, code name is the Red Hood. So if you Todd, read Todd. Under the Red Hood or those kinds of things, um, that is where Jason Todd is at now. Then came Robin Three, the greatest Robin of all time. Uh, don't, one. Don't lie to people. What he is? No. Which one? Not Damian Wayne, that's for sure. Uh, uh, Tim Drake. So Tell Tim Drake, man, give him the Tim, facts. Tim Drake's origin is uh, that he was the next door neighbor of Bruce Wayne, and then um, you know something happened. He noticed that something happened. This was would have been immediately after the Jason Todd death. He noticed that Robin wasn't around, and he started watching um, uh, Nightwing. He saw a news clip or something. Uh, on the TV of Nightwing and Batman doing some action. He noticed that there was this particular flip that Nightwing did. And he was like, wait a minute. I remember going to the circus as a young lad and seeing the fantastic Grayson's. And he figured out just from, you know, doing his own uh, research 
uh, because he is the greatest detective, uh, that uh, that Nightwing and Dick Grayson were the exact same person. And so he went and confronted Batman and Batman is like, uh, no, uh, I am not Batman. I am billionaire Bruce Wayne. And uh, Jason, uh, not Jason, but Tim Drake was like, why are you wearing a cape and cowl? And it's the middle of the day and you're on the Wayne properties like ah, I'm here to investigate a murder. And then, of course, um, uh, Tim's parents got abducted and murdered. One of them did his mom. And uh, Bruce was like, well, I'm going to take you under my wing, uh, so to speak. And he became Robin three and really was the best Robin. He eventually somebody uh, like uh, uh, Rodrigo was saying uh, that he was uh, Jason Todd was somebody's favorite. Uh, Tim Drake was somebody's least favorite. And so in the multiple reboots, somehow they set uh, Tim Drake's head on fire and uh, burned him horrifically. And now he just goes by, what is it, uh, Red Robin? Or is he just, what is his He's name? Robin again now. Oh, he's Robin again? Okay. Yeah, he, was, he, he came back to being Robin in Young Justice. And Damien had stepped down from the role temporarily, so. Oh, and now let's yeah. get to Damien Wayne. Well, you're, missing, you're skipping a Robin if you go to Damien Wayne. Oh, well, yeah. So uh, at one point we have Stephanie Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanie Brown is actually a Tim Drake's girlfriend. And at one point when Tim Drake was missing, presumed dead, she wanted to step up. Now, she her she comes from a criminal uh, lineage. Her father was calculator. Clue master. Oh, the clue master. OK. For some reason, I always thought calculator, but uh, clue master. And um, she finally convinced Batman to let her be Robin. And he's like, great, if you're going to be Robin, then you're going to have to do all of my instructions exactly as I say. And so for an entire so in issue one. He says, yes, you can become Robin in issue two. It's a great uh, training sequence, a la uh, the Karate Kid. And then in issue three, she dies horribly. And that is your fourth Robin. That she, is she not, got she got better, though. She got shafted is what she got. <laughs> yeah, she really did. That was probably it was not a three issue sequence. No, no, but it, it basically felt like that. She was Robin for less than a year. About I want to say, months. yeah, less than a year. Um, and so there's a lot of people online that are still very bitter about how they treated um, Stephanie uh, in that role. Now, she was at one point a kind of a sidekick to Tim Drake as the spoiler. And I think she's back as spoiler now, if I'm not mistaken. She is spoiler again. She was last seen as a member of Young Justice. Yeah, there was also a Jim very there was also somewhat of a controversial storyline where she got pregnant. I don't think from Tim Drake. But she got pregnant yeah. and and they had to have a whole storyline of her deciding whether she was going to keep the kid or not keep the kid. So if you're into that, go and read that. Um, then we get then we get Damian Wayne. So Damian Wayne is the love child between Batman and Talia Agul. Uh, now, many, many years ago, um, who was it? Um, Neil. Uh, um, Gosh, what's his name that wrote the 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 Batman Ra's al Ghul uh, battle? Oh, Son of the Demon. Yeah, yeah, Son of the Demon storyline, in which I'm not certain if Batman was drugged or if he was just pretending to be drugged, so he had an excuse to make out with Talia al Ghul. Uh, but somehow uh, she got pregnant from that, and she um, kept a bunch of uh, weirdo clones of her child constantly in development. And of Chuck course, Dixon. Is it Chuck Dixon? For some reason, I, I was thinking of uh, what's the artist's You're name? You're thinking of Neil Adams. That's who I'm thinking no. of is Neil Adams. So, no. No, son of the uh, demon son is of Chuck Dixon. Yeah. Chuck Dixon and Norm Brayfogel, I think. Oh, OK. Art. OK. Uh, so anyway, after uh, Tim Drake and Stephanie Brown were out of the scene, Talia al Ghul shows up one day and says, hey, by the way, we've got a kid together. Uh, 
here, here's your son, Damien, a little 10 year old or whatever he is. And she says, uh, I'm too busy with my crime spreeing to deal with this. I'm going to give him to you. And Batman is like, oh, you little punk swear to me that you are my son. And Damien's like, I think I'm a clone or something. I don't know, but I'm going to be a real turd ass for like the next seven years until people finally get so worn down by my antics that they actually like me. And that is Damien Wayne. Uh, then we get almost to... almost no editorializing there. <laughs> yeah, none at all. I'm giving you the straight the straight facts here, and then finally we get the the future storyline of um, of uh, the Dark Knight Returns, where a young girl is looking out uh, in this uh, dystopian future of Gotham City, and she sees the bat signal has been fired up for the first time in like a scribillion years, and she knows Batman is in trouble, so she goes and fights the um, the mutants. And uh, Batman is like, you're a good soldier. Come back and swear to me that you will be my next Robin. And then he passes out and then she drives his tank back to the Batcave and becomes uh, Robin five question mark. And then, of course, if you go to DC one million, then you get robot uh, Robin. Robin, the toy wonder. Yeah. The Robin, There's the also wonder. a number of uh, sort of kind of underground Robins in the We Are Robin series. I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, there's a lot of those. But I don't know if they're officially Robins. Um, I mean, what is official? Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1954, there was Roberta, the girl wonder, who was a female version of Robin. Mm -hmm. Uh, she appeared twice, literally twice, not Steven twice. I mean, Stephanie Brown, six, uh, six installments as Robin. And then she's, yeah, but you have to understand it's six months, but the book was coming out five times a month. So that's the equivalent of three years. Well, when did that happen? The 1990. This would have been before. Yeah. This would have been before. So this would have been 90s, before 52. The 90s were a time when like DC was throwing a lot of stuff at the wall <laughs> and immediately just chickening out of it. I, I like, would think oh, this is more Robin like. And it's a lady. I think this it's is like, more oh, like 2000. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Killer. Um, yeah. Hey, there's a new bad girl and she's deaf. And communicates Mutes? with sign language yeah. and fights people, and it's like, well, let's just have a psychic take the, all that away. Mm -hmm. And uh, now she can talk, and also none of the things that made her interesting are still around, except for you know a couple of them. Yeah, right. yeah. So there you Stephanie go. Stephanie was around two thousand four. Well, and so Stephanie, yeah, I was going to say that definitely had to be in the two thousands. Okay, and I, right. I want to say it. it yeah. Maybe it was even after two thousand six because I could have swore that she was still hanging around as a Robin when major spoilers yeah. was first starting, but then she came back and no, at she one was point, dead at that point. Well, at one point she got better and came back as the new bat girl. And then we had uh, convergence and now, you know, I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah. Her bat girl series launched in 2006. Oh, okay. All right. So there you go, John. I hope that answers your question and that you continue to enjoy Titans for years to come. Uh, here is one from, I don't have the name on this one. I'm sorry. Uh, this is a more of a critical hit question. He's been listening to critical hit since October, 2020, and he's on episode five fifty two. but he had some questions. He really likes fourth edition. Um, while there are some aspects of fifth edition that are really great, I don't think it beats fourth edition. And I want to play an entire one to 30 campaign with people who are not my younger sister in fourth edition at some point using one of the five or seven pre-generated characters I have. I don't want to move on without at least using at least some of the stuff I put together in 4E and never got a chance to use, and some of those characters are unresolved questions I really want to answer. What are the odds of getting a 
fourth edition group together online? And how would you advise I go about doing it? I live in rural Idaho, not a great place for physical gatherings. Rodrigo, you want to take a take a crack at that? I've got a good answer, but I'm sure you've got one too. Uh, I guess my my go-to would be um, try to find a D&D 4E Discord. Nowadays, that's what the kids are doing. Um, I think that there are services that allow you to like post that you want to game master a game. And then, uh, like for example, if you're thinking of rolling running it through roll 20 you can just post the game mm-hmm. and ask for players to join yep. and then you can go from there so um since you're planning on making it remote that's probably the best option but i uh i'm a old and don't go around looking for new people to meet mm-hmm. uh and b have been running a game uh, a 4e game with a bunch of people that I met in person. So I'm not the best person to to tell you how to go out and meet people in any way, really. I'm just kind of the worst at that. Um, yeah, I really think Roll20 looking for group is probably your best way to do it because you'll find a lot of people that are looking for somebody to join their fourth edition campaign or whatever it is. And if you're someone who doesn't have a game master, uh, there are a number of people who hire themselves out for a fee to Game Master Games for you. Um, just recently on the GM Roundtable, we had Christopher Rondo, who is a writer over at Majorspoilers.com, and he came on to the uh, GM Roundtable to talk about um, his full-time job as a professional GM, where he goes and runs a number of campaigns from people all over the world and um, you know um, posts on Roll20 and other places. So I'm sure that you can find some online people by either going through Roll20 or one of the other like um, D&D Beyond or one of those other online uh, systems uh, to find people. And and I would say that for anybody who's looking for group, um, if you're in one of those systems already, which you probably are, many of you are, there's probably a looking for group option there. Uh, speaking of the GM Roundtable, that is one of our other bonus shows that are only available to our patrons when you sign up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. So if you're looking for yet, I mean, there's got to be like five or six other podcasts that you can find exclusively over at our Patreon page. So if you need even more of us in your life, there you go. Uh, here's another one. This is from Nick. Nick also has, excuse me, a, uh, a long email that I'm going to cut down. He says, my question, if you lasted this long, is what are some good tips for someone wanting to break into illustration? Ways to make connections, get your art in front of more people, gain a following, know what opportunities to look for. Any insight would be appreciated. I've been experimenting with a style inspired by the art found in the games and lore books of Destiny, and I think that this could be marketed to the gaming community due to the individualized nature of the game. Below, I'll attach an example, which look pretty cool, uh, by the way. I really like the uh, the art style. But appreciate any advice you all have time to spare, says Nick. Uh, This is one that I wish Ashley was here because, you know, she does a lot of work with comic book industry people. Um, She has had multiple Kickstarter campaigns uh, for her her independent comic books that she and Jason Inman have done. Um, This is like their fourth or fifth campaign that they have done. And so they they might have some advice as well. Uh, Matthew, do you have any advice? I would say you're going to want to be able to have your portfolio portfolio online visible. Um, I don't know specifics on this, but I know that whenever I end up on DeviantArt, 
people have like just huge bits and pieces yeah. of things that they've is done. DVD One thing that around? they always recommend is don't just do pinups. Don't just do yeah. splash pages. People want to see that you're able to draw continuing storytelling to try and draw a series of things, a sequence of events, mm-hmm. not just cool people in costumes, but you know, regular people, bowls of cereal, things that you would run into in your regular life, the basic drawing stuff. That's not necessarily the flashy, flashy, get everybody's attention, big splash page of, you know, rat man breaking through the wall to smash turnip man in the face. That's going to be there. A lot of people can do that. But the people who can draw a rat man wandering around his apartment before he gets the rat signal are the people who are probably going to be the ones who definitely get work. Yeah, and definitely don't have your splash page of Ratman going, swear to me, swear to me now. Uh, but Matthew's, but Matthew's, a, abs, Matthew's absolutely right. You do need to work on your sequential storytelling. So that's number one. DeviantArt, I thought, went down, but apparently not. Uh, it's still there. So definitely get yourself a DeviantArt page. If you don't have an Instagram page, get an Instagram page and put put stuff up there. Um, put stuff on your Twitter page. Wherever you have a social media presence, share your, your art. Yes, your MySpace, your TikToks, your Friendster, um, your, your whatever Friendster. it may be. Get out there and share your art. You have to share your art. And then, uh, as Matthew said, work sequentially on the storytelling. Uh, that's going to be your your big thing. So read a lot of books on cinematography, um, videography, you know, composition framing, those kinds of things that will help you out a great deal. And then once you feel like you have a portfolio of sequential story art, the next thing you might want to do is go to comic conventions where they sometimes, not always, uh, they sometimes have portfolio reviews. These can sometimes be expensive. Uh, They can sometimes have a long waiting list that you may not get on. But um, a lot of times these portfolio review groups are with editors from comic book publishers who will sit down with you and say what they like, what they don't like, what you need to work on. And sometimes they might, um, you know, might ask for your contact information so that they might be able to hire you in the future. So those would be some things that I would say to do. Rodrigo, do you have anything else to add? Um, I would definitely... Second, the social media thing. Um, right now, uh, something... Uh, so, And it goes both ways. If you want to get into video games, start following video game people. Not mm-hmm. the bosses, but every the creative director for every video game company is on Twitter. Yep. Probably. So follow them and follow anybody else who you potentially be working directly under. And follow them online because every once in a while they'll actually do calls for artists and then you mm-hmm. can send them your uh, portfolio or whatever. Yep. yep. Um, and then the other thing is, yeah, uh, get social media. And if it's not just if you have whatever social media you have, you have to be on there posting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to go out and get other social media, right? I'm not on Instagram mostly, I just lurk. Um, but I'm not a, a, a graphic artist of any kind. So um, if you are, you need you do need an Instagram account, right? Do yeah. uh, WIPs or or time lapses of yourself drawing on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, try to get a like follow other artists. Artists will just follow you back if they like your art. Um, 
and try to build a presence online and that's going to help you because it you know it uh, i feel that in reality it often doesn't mean anything but if they look at your stuff and they're like uh you know if it looks and it's like everywhere and people have you know reposted it and stuff you're more likely to seem like somebody who's doing this professionally so i would say definitely definitely try your best uh to to get all this stuff out there mm-hmm. and when you say illustration you know we've been giving you stuff as far as you know breaking into comics uh, type stuff but you know rodrigo is right as far as the gaming industry because they do a lot of illustrative work uh, magic the gathering and uh you know the the Dungeons and Dragons are always looking for illustrators. So following those game developers, following book publishers uh, would be, especially editors, would be a great way if you're just looking for, I want to do fantasy art covers, then find out who the editors are of your favorite fantasy art books or your fantasy novels and uh, follow them if they're online. Um, and if your illustrations are really good, then, you know, you could you could submit unsolicited. But most of the time, companies don't like unsolicited work because, um because of potential for lawsuits and stuff. So right. work, 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 work. Uh, one thing that I have heard from even a lot of people who do cartoons, uh, like the Sunday strip kind of stuff is study anatomy. If you haven't, uh, because that's one of the big negatives that, uh, that they, that they see in a lot of people is even if you're drawing cartoony stuff, basic understanding of how to draw anatomy and drawing anatomy really well, will take you a long ways. So there you go. Hopefully that, that helps you out, Nick. Uh, Robin Gonzalez uh, asks, do you agree with your Zodiac signs overall? Maybe like, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, maybe I would have. Maybe not so much now. Uh, I, I, I'm really kind of a fan of Dan Harmon's new Zodiac uh, system. Uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. Uh, Matthew, what about you? Uh, do you? Do you follow your Zodiacs and, and think that? You know, where it's where they say, oh, a person who is a Sagittarius uh, falls into this category. Is that is that you? Oh, no, Matthew again. What about you, Rodrigo? Um, yeah, uh, bafflingly, I tend to uh, or, or, or perhaps uh, really. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense because Zodiac stuff is kind of written out to be broad but i do tend to fall into what taurus are are mostly supposed to be uh let's see uh taurus is the fixed modality of the three earth signs the other is being virgo and capricorn in astrology the main connotations of planets under the sign are stubborn warm and indulgent in the material world so yeah definitely yeah <laughs> Uh, you definitely fit the Taurus mold. I, I am like pure Sagittarius. Sagittarius is uh, generous, idealistic, known for their sense of humor. Sagittarians are known to shoot off at the mouth, uh, mm-hmm. hence the archer part. They can be impatient. They can occasionally overpromise. Um, but you also get into a point where sometimes a Sagittarius can be overly delicate, so it can work both ways. Sometimes you soft pedal things too much. Yeah. I mean, uh, the things that a Sagittarius is supposed to hate are the things that I hate. I hate, you know, the feeling of being constrained. You know, the, I hate the, uh, I hate psychotic, does weird, that, wild theories. Does that fall? Does that, that, does that cause a conflict with you? Because, um, 
you're someone who doesn't believe in like predefined destination type stuff. Eh, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, because this is because this is definitely a bunch of various definitions fit me. Does it make it any less pseudoscientific nonsense? I mean, you know, it, if you look at the Sagitt the traditional Sagittarius body type, I even fit that. Yeah. Ooh, scary. You so know? here's 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 Dan Harmon's new. And if you follow Dan Harmon on Instagram, he's been posting these, I think, over the last week. So here here they are. And you'll figure out what month they are, because Janucorn is the goat, Fibularis, the ostrich, Marvis, the shark, um, Apraxes, the kangaroo, Mabus, the three legged bull, uh, Junami, the bat, uh, Julkemia, the spider, uh, Augio or Augio, the blind lion, uh, uh, Septergo, the raccoon, Octabra, the octopus, uh, Noviopia, the scorpion and uh, Decitarius, the snake. So what does that all mean? Well, let us jump down to, uh, let's see. You are a, what month is uh, Rodrigo's birthday? May. May. So let's look at Mabus, the three-legged bull. An animal close to you is in pain, not emotionally close, a rodent within 30 meters. Its species has evolved to avoid your awareness, so its suffering will never be your problem, which seems both weird and fair. So there you go. That was your, that was your uh, horoscope for today. Nice. For me, the raccoon. Septergo, you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, and you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, and you will need to exit the automobile carefully, check for debris for survivors, and then call 911. Uh, you know, that's pretty accurate. Um, let's see. And then uh, Matthew is Decatarius. As a Decatarian, you are burdened with a snake's gift for foresight. Your friends are focused on freeing pop stars, but you are rightfully devising ways to keep them free. Stop hiding that sketch in your pocket of the large feeding puppet. In the shape of Madonna's head, your instincts feel si silly, but they're spot on. So I will I prescribe to uh, Dan Harmon's uh, uh, horoscopes as well as who's the guy online that does those that does those horoscopes Stephen every Blackmore. day? Yeah, Stephen Blackmore. His stuff is fantastic. I haven't seen him. Of course, I I've been staying off of Twitter a lot lately, so maybe I've missed his stuff. Is he still doing that every day? Not every day. No, he doesn't do it regularly. His um, stuff is fantastic, so I would definitely follow him on Twitter uh, for some good. Years ago, they had uh, a friend of mine and I were both under a sign, and they're like, there's a new astrological sign called Ophiuchus, the snake. And I'm like, what is this? And that we went through the whole thing in the Ophiuchus, which is like the tail end of December into early January, which is not actually an astrological sign, but it is a uh, astronomic sign i'm not good with the latin it's well so draco is a constellation so maybe it's um when is draco it's a constellation in the southern... Ophiuchus. Yeah. yeah so maybe but, that I is mean, so what is your apparently, point apparently it's the sidereal astrology but i also fit that mm. it's different aspects of the personality and i feel like to some degree part of it is the fact that it's all very general you know yes. if i say to you everyone on this podcast perfectly fits like steven your astrological sign has 10 fingers and 10 toes what and has a tendency to just kind of wander around and do stuff that other people haven't noticed and rodrigo your astrological sign can grow a beard between the hours of noon and 3 p.m yeah yeah these yeah, fit that's that's the thing is like i don't want to get in anybody's face because i know that um 
astrology is part of some people's like practice, yeah. you know, and 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 they care about it. But I there is something that fundamentally just raises my hackles. <laughs> um, I don't know if bulls have hackles, but um, yeah, they have hackles about up. they also have testicles. There's there's something about somebody being like there's the and and, and to a certain degree it's a, it's a it's a straw man but the potential of this situation existing really bothers me of somebody looking at someone else like make a mistake or do something you know problematic and then being like oh well they're a Virgo so it makes sense mm-hmm, right? right like uh, associating like it's it's it it has a danger of there's a danger of people actually treating each other the way that these right um things prescribe oh no and i had it a... fundamentally bothers me at like i i don't i don't know what it is it's it has to be something that thus far has gone unanalyzed but there's just something about zodiac signs um enneagrams and things like that that just like give me a give me give me a a bad feeling and and again that's because of the way people might abuse that stuff or is it or is it into i don't want to be i don't want to fit into your self-prescribed or this predefined box that you're trying to fit me in yeah i don't care about it's like i only care about what the sign or or you know whatever uh, birthstone or whatever says about me in the sense that, you know, if I get treated that way, like, I don't care. I don't care about uh, what, what it says that Taurus is about because it, it kind of does fit, you know, most of the time, except when I'm not patient and mm-hmm, nurturing mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. whatever. No, I had a, I had a friend in college. She was totally into this, just, you know, down to, everything and she would just look at you and she would be able to pick out your your sign yep. without knowing anything about you just based on she'd be like oh you're a virgo and th- th- and here's how i know this and she would tell you all these things like yeah hey, you're pretty you're pretty accurate on that yeah. so she was totally into that and and i know ashley is into that as well um i i mean i don't know i don't i, I just don't know so i can't say that uh that it's completely bunk or it's you know completely accurate but you know do what you want to do as long as nobody's getting hurt uh exactly. Uh, moving on, the biggest critique I get, says Psycho Red, for my show is is conversational transitions. How do you manage to make a fluid show leading from point to point between four people? Do segments and uh, an established order help? Uh, well, moving on to our next question. See how I did that, Psycho Red? Um, it depends on your show, right? Uh, so if you have uh, predetermined segments, uh, I would say certainly an, uh, a detailed outline or a script certainly helps out in this so that people know what questions are coming up or what topics are coming up. Uh, we have a fairly, I mean, basically what you see in the Major Spoilers show notes on the Majorspoilers.com website, that is, for the most part, our show notes for when we do things. Um, and then it's a matter of being able to listen to people and having a question ready or having something that you can pivot to another person with. Um, I think really good shows have somebody that kind of moderates or control controls the flow so that it's like 
when it's time for someone else to speak or someone says something and, and then someone can easily instantly turn to Rodrigo and say, well, Rodrigo, do you agree with that? Um, and so maybe knowing a little bit about your co-hosts or the other people on your show uh, certainly helps in creating those those conversations. Yeah, having somebody whose specific job it is to be the moderator, A, will help keep you know things on track, even if your outline is really loose, and B, it will help to avoid hurt feelings on the part of panel members or people listening on behalf of the panel members. If somebody, you know, for instance, Stephen generally tends to moderate most of our show. Even in a, a situation where Rodrigo is running a game in Critical Hit, there's still sort of a deference to Stephen as the person who's physically recording the show and kind of, you know, keeping the notes and being the technical director of everything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you come to a point where Sometimes if you're listening to a show that's a big free-for-all and somebody, you know, were to get bulldozed under, if, you know, say a voice keeps getting shot down by others, but there's really nobody whose job it is to kind of moderate and say, well, let's go back and let Ashley finish what she was saying, or let's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. let Steve do whatever he needed to do. The imaginary Steve, not Steve. And Steven doesn't like being called Steve. No, I'm not like you. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) I mean, I, I've mentioned before that there were so many Steves and Stevens in, in my school growing up that I was just like, whatever name you want to call me is fine. Just don't call me late for dinner. I have an opinion, but it also does help, you know, when you have someone who has a tendency like myself to digress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having someone whose job it is to kind of wrangle things. I well, think and, will help. and I think, you know, here's the other thing. If you know how long your show is supposed to be, if it's supposed to be 30 minutes and you've got X amount of, of stuff to get through, um, you certainly don't want to block somebody out of conversation. So there are times where Matthew and I will be in a discussion about like a trade paperback segment. And he and I are going back and forth and just talking about stuff. And then I have to say, oh, wait, uh, we don't want to block Rodrigo or Ashley out of this conversation. So then you have to figure out a way of take what you're currently saying and work it into a conversation or something that you can throw to the other people. Um, But I think the other thing, too, is to make sure that everyone else. So once you find your head person, your moderator or your main host or whatever that you want to call that person. Um, make sure that everyone else that's on the show recognizes that so mm-hmm. that when the moderator is like, OK, we need to move on to another topic or, hey, uh, we've been talking about this uh, long enough. Any final thoughts? Let's move on. Th- that everybody is willing to do that as opposed to continue to talk on and and carry on with those kinds of things. Um, so I think, again, depends on what your show is. If you have something that is designed in segments like Major Spoilers podcast is news then individual reviews, and then a group discussion on trade paperbacks. I think that works. Um, another thing that is is maybe I think is a little bit more difficult now than what it may have been years ago was that Rodrigo and Zach and Rob were all in a physical location. We were all in the same location together. So, you know, I could point at somebody or we could mouth something to somebody. And so it wasn't necessarily up to me to say, oh, and what do you think of this, Rodrigo? Rodrigo would know that it's okay to jump in right after Matthew finished what he was saying or Ashley finished what he, what she was saying. And we try to do that now, but there's a little bit of a, you know, because of the delay, we just like right now, we kind of step on each other. (laughs) So that's, that's worth mentioning that a big part of the reason why the major spoilers podcast and, and all the podcasts on major spoilers are so silky smooth. Despite, you know, the hiccups every once in a while is 
because Stephen, Matthew, Ashley, and I are all TV people in some in one way or another, right? Or radio people or whatever. We like the the script for the show is a rundown. There's a name for that, and we all understand what a rundown is. So mm-hmm. at the first moment that we see that, we're like, okay, these are segments, and we know that. If you're not familiar with that stuff, uh, you you have to familiarize yourself with it. There are no uh, times in the rundown for the Major Spoilers podcast because Stephen kind of allows for some flexibility, but also because the four of us know when a segment has gone long, like we right. can feel it. We have had yeah. enough segments go long that we're not a part of, that where we are the ones with a headset and a, and a stopwatch. <laughs> um, and the talent just won't shut up mm-hmm. um, that we can just like feel it in our souls when something has gone too long. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of unwritten stuff in the major spoilers podcast show notes that you might find on the site. Um, and a lot of that is being filled in by our professional experience. Yeah. yeah. So um, definitely uh, if you want to look into directing shows and even like floor directing Produce, shows. producing shows yeah mm-hmm. yeah producing shows that is going to give you those those rudiments right that you know certain things should be a certain length or whatever and you might even discover that you actually don't want that you do want to have a freeform <laughs> experience but if yeah. you want something that sounds like us you need somebody driving and you need people along that understand that that person is driving and the moment that they the this passing your seatbelts on comes on we're all clicking on and we're moving to the next thing yeah Yeah. so when you talk about um you know managing transitions and and those kinds of things let me give you a little bit of insight into segment one of the major spoilers podcast which is always the news so i go through and i write it uh, you know write the bits that people are supposed to supposed to be reading although they can go in and change it and work it into a way that sounds uh, smoother for them but Then in our show notes off to the side, if someone wants to, if someone has a thought or a comment on that story, they just put their name there. And so as soon as the story is over, they know that it's that they just should jump in right after that. Or if there's two people in there, I will say, oh, Matthew, what do you think of that story? Um, And then that's how that's how you can kind of do those things. But we kind of know those ahead of time for GM Roundtable. Not only do we have questions that people know ahead of time. And that people have said, oh, I, I have some answers on this. We also have a live chat that's running uh, in our Google Doc uh, right away so that I can say, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to throw to you, Rob. Or Rob can say, oh, oh, I've got something I want to say on this so that we can just make that that transition into there. Um, certainly yeah. as far as transitions go, however, you know, how do you get from one segment to another? Certainly take notes to everything that I say in this show, because I have some of the mm, chef's kiss transitions from one mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. segment to another. Just like when we get into Robin's other question, how do you stave off on we, Matthew? Uh, I think the easiest way to do it, for me anyway, is to find different ways to say what you already know you've said. Um, what are we? But don't 15? repeat yourself a million times. Right. But even yeah. if you do repeat yourself, you want to repeat yourself from a different angle. You know, if we look at the example of Top 5, one of our ongoing shows, a lot of times Top 5 will have similar entrance so if you say to me what's your favorite movie and we do a show about my favorite movie and then a year or two later we do a show about movies that are you know eminently craveable or something 
there may be the same movie, there may be the same film or the book or character, but you want to kind of approach it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say the same thing every time. The same thing goes for, you know, when you're reviewing a comic book, you know, when we're reviewing on this show, even if I did issue one of Turnip Man and I've done two, three, and four, we're getting now to issue five. You want to find something, you want to find a way to approach it that feels fresh to you. If it's something that feels fresh to you, it should be something that you can transition into something that doesn't feel like the audience has heard it a hundred times. Yep. And I'm the guy who likes to beat a joke to death, but there comes a point where you do have to walk away from a dead horse joke, or you do have to say, you know, you know, we're not going to do X bit anymore, or we're not going to do a transition. Yeah, on we don't this make level. fun of we don't make fun of Robert Kirkman anymore because he's got a billion dollars and sue us out of existence. So, <laughs> well, right, and you know that was one of those things that ran its course. Congratulations on Invisible, Robert Kirkman. <laughs> Thanks, Robert Kirkman. Actually, that's a, have you got, I know Matthew watched the first episode of that. Uh, Rodrigo, have I you watched, watched in, all the episodes? Have you yeah, watched I've all watched, three episodes? I've watched all four. I think are out now. Uh, yeah, Bridget and I like got them? halfway through issue one, and she's like. Yeah, we're going to be binging this whole thing, aren't we? I'm like, yes. Yeah, yes, no, it's are. really good. I really like the changes that are being made to the show. I think the animation mm-hmm. is really good. I like Corey Walker's uh, redesign of the of the characters, you know, the slight yep. tweaks to everything. But it's really, really good. All right, we're yep. going to blow through not all of Bluey's questions, but uh, some of them. Uh, do you have a favorite comic book era? For me, I would say right now it is probably uh, the 70s through probably 86 or so, right before Crisis. Uh, just Bronze getting age. some of the Bronze Age stuff. Yeah, Matthew, what about you? Uh, for me, it's a tie between Bronze Age and super, super early Golden Age when the mm-hmm. rules weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. So you get like wacky, crazy off the wall stuff, and then you yep. get into the 70s and they're like, hey, let's break all the rules. Uh, Rodrigo? Uh, not anymore. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff and terrible stuff that came out of every era. So I've I've really gone back and uh, tried to appreciate each comic book era for what it, what it does best. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have an era that is best for comfort reading? Um, I don't know. I, I really like more of the modern stuff for me is probably best comfort reading stuff, basically from introduction of Hellboy forward. Matthew. Late Bronze Age, 82 to the end of the crisis, about 86, 87. Mm-hmm. Some of it gets into 88, 89. It would have been the comics that I read when I was 12, 13, 14. Yeah, I, I guess I would definitely say, especially as we get closer in the Legion Clubhouse podcast, um, as we get close to my version of the, of the Legion, that's, that's a good comfort reading. So mid, mid to late nineties, Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's probably nineties and two thousands for me, especially stuff like, uh, Hellboy stuff like bone, when did bone come out? Yeah. About that time. Six, yeah. Late, yeah. Late so 90s. it's like, mm-hmm. that's, that's when I started rolling off of capes and tights and started getting into other stuff. Um, there's also like terrible stuff that I'm into that, uh, that I, that I read for comfort, like crimson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like no, I, have, I love crimson. I have the, the digital, uh, version of the, um, of the, like the crimson omnibus. And I'm uh-huh. like, this is, this is something. Yeah, it is. I still don't know what crimson is, but it's something. And vamp, I like vamp, vampire something with Humberto Ramos art. So that that's yep, all you need yep. to know. What percentage? Some, some, some. Speaking of uh, digital versions, Rodrigo, what percentage of your comic book buying is digital? Uh, my comic book buying mm-hmm. is pretty much zero percent. I do consume a lot of comics digitally because of the show, because we're giving uh, reading copies mm-hmm. uh, or not reading, but, but you know, yeah, basically we're copies. given copies yeah. by the 
by the companies. Um, but if I go out and buy a comic, it will almost certainly be a physical trade paperback. So mm. almost 100% of my comic buying is physical. Okay. 100% of my comic buying is digital, um, mainly because I'm not really buying. There aren't any trades that are just jumping out to me right now, um, mm. and, unless it's something that I get from a Kickstarter, like a collected uh, Atomic Robo collection or a Jupiter Jet or something from Ashley and uh, Jason. Uh, but I made a decision, what was it, last year, two years ago, something like that. Um, where I was just not going to buy physical copies anymore. I don't have the space for them. Uh, they go into a box and I don't do anything with them. There's not any place local that I can really unload these things, which I'd really like to start unloading them. Um, so 100% is digital. I can carry everything around on my, on my iPad. Matthew, what about you? I don't even remember how many years ago it was now, but there was an incident uh, that broke my heart, and I have not bought a physical comic book since about... 2016, 2017. So right now, 100% of my comic book purchases are digital. I just swung for the fences and bought the whole uh, Super Friends run off of Comixology. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a pretty yeah. good one there. Yeah, yeah. That was a good book. Nelson, Nelson uh, I'm Bridwell. Glad I, I'm glad I pointed that out to you. Yeah, I'm glad you did too, man. A buck ninety nine a copy. I paid yeah, more for that for my originals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rodrigo is butt legs. Uh, I, I mean, it, it really depends. Okay. Good enough. Uh, Eric asks NFTs, would you purchase a piece of digital art? I know there's a lot of controversy about NFTs right now. I don't know enough about them. I know a lot of people are upset about them because of the, the mining uh, that has to go on with it and the extra energy that it takes for the, for the graphic cards and stuff. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. Um, I do own some Bitcoin, um, but it's not stuff that I've had to mine myself. Other people have done it. Um, I just don't see, I mean, I know everybody's talking about it because of, um, what's his face who sold his uh, entire collection for like $96 million or whatever it was uh, a couple months ago. I just don't see the entire appeal of NFTs. I understand how they work and what the, the thing is, but when it comes to value, value is whatever somebody is going to put on it. So, you know, I've got a comic book that's sitting here. That's a graded uh, 9.6 comic book. And I think that this thing should be worth $300. Uh, I could go to an auction house and say, I think that this is worth $300. And they could put it on the auction block and it could sell for $25 because that's all that it's valued at. So uh, when it comes to NFTs, I don't know. It's a digital good. An EMP could take it out. Uh, I can understand. I, I like the profit sharing that goes on between the creator and each person who buys it. but. I am probably not interested in NFTs. Matthew or Rodrigo, you guys want to jump in on this? I don't trust it. Um, having lived through the 1996 uh, collapse of the comics industry, anything that reeks of speculator madness just makes my teeth itch. I can't, I cannot find myself trusting that as a place to put any meaningful amount of money. Because, first of all, I don't have any money, but the money that I do have in investment situations is in relatively, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to use the C word, but I think I'm going to have to use it. Oh, no, don't use the C word. This is a family podcast, man. I don't want to get get you uh, uh, cancel cultured off of saying the C word. Oh, 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 oh. Relatively conservative stocks. I have have a 403B. (laughs) I have some stuff, but I cannot, I, I just... 
can't find myself trusting it simply because the nature of NFT seems extremely volatile and it seems really, really driven by a speculator mentality. Yeah, a lot of this. Maybe that'll go away. Maybe a lot of the same things were said about Bitcoin, too, when it first started, like, what, 10 years ago or something. Um, but, you know, I probably had a, a Bitcoin at some point when they were first introduced. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll grab one of these. I've lost it, which means that there's like $50,000, you know, lost on some uh, used up hard drive somewhere. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just don't see the the appeal personally to me now. I know a lot of people are into it and looking to make a quick buck. What about you, Rodrigo? Um, I, I think it it's something that if they could figure out a way to do it uh, non-problematically, right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that doesn't consume tons of energy and that mm-hmm. doesn't require um, the the work that is being done. If you could have an artist create a piece and then, yeah, put some sort of digital signature on it saying, this is that piece I created. This is official. There's a certificate. Like, no matter how many copies you see on the internet, this is the real one. Yeah, and that's it's what something the that has does. some value, right? In yeah. the same way that people are like, I like that artist. I'm going to buy them a Kofi with a K. Yeah. Um, like, you could you could potentially do that, right? It, like you see uh, artists who have like adoptables. You know about that, right? It's like mm-hmm. people draw like a, a a funky pony, and they're like, "This funky pony is up for adoption." And people are like, "I'll buy that funky pony off of you." And you send them some files, but there's nothing stopping you from selling that again or copying it. But mm-hmm. you don't because that person adopted that critter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if that all that stuff is like for those purposes. I, I I wish we could get there to something that was uh, what I want to say like I, I guess reasonable just reasonable yeah um, that you could uh, help an artist or or show support for an artist by buying and uh, something non fungible right yeah yeah so yeah. you know yeah that's 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 the whole thing right uh, is you know the non fungible token the NFT. Um, I get it. I've seen the things. I've seen things pro and I've seen things con. I'm just not ready to jump in. and I probably won't. Yeah. Uh, Jarmo asks, uh, you can choose to forget an, an experience again for the first time. Uh, one pop culture thing. So uh, if you could forget an experience again for the first time, one pop culture thing, what would it be? I think for me, it would probably be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. So that you could enjoy it again for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, Matthew? I don't think I would ever choose to forget anything. Um, and I know that's a terrible thing and it undermines the whole premise of Yarmo's <laughs> question, but I don't, I, I don't feel like that's a thing that I want to do. I mean, partly it's because I, I take great pride in the fact that I remember the things that I remember, but I don't feel like there's anything that I want to forget because it's terrible. And I don't think there's anything that I want to forget so that I can experience it for the first time again. It's just, so nah, Matthew just doesn't want to play with your question, Jarmo. What about you, uh, Rodrigo? <laughs> Um, I guess if I could forget and re-experience something, maybe Demon Days, um, maybe, maybe Demon Days by Gorillaz, like that whole oh, album. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Demon yeah. Days, I Stuart hear again. Asks, Stuart asks, who is everyone's favorite Muppet? Um, Swedish chef. I, I think I'm torn between Fozzie Bear and Gonzo. And we already know what Rodrigo's answer is. Oh, what is my answer? Shrimp cakes. The little shrimpy guy. Oh, um, Pepe. Yeah, Pepe. Pepe. Yeah, I do like Pepe. I, I, I think he's a lot of fun. I, it, 
to me, I love the Muppets. So asking about a favorite Muppet is like so asking choice. me. A, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's worse than asking me about my children because I don't have children, but I do love the Muppets. <laughs> and if I had children, I don't know that I'd love them as much. as I do. <laughs> That's um, true. That's true. So, I know. I do. Uh, I guess probably. Uh, I, I just, you know, I've, I, it's, it's kind of vanilla, but I've kind of really gotten into Kermit. I think yeah. that Kermit as probably as I age and Kermit as trying to be the responsible one in a group full of misfits, um, is, is something that I find, uh, compelling, right? Because he can't like, nobody is doing it maliciously, but he still has to wrangle everyone. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fun to sort of rewatch old Muppet movies not as like oh look at these wacky Muppets but it's like how like and and it makes a lot of sense about why Kermit flies off the handle sometimes yeah um and that that in in and of itself is funny is to watch Kermit just freaking lose it yeah 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 uh Corey wants to know what hobbies did you pick up during the pandemic did you guys pick up any uh hobbies um I picked up a really bad hobby of uh calling in food <laughs> because my pandemic my <laughs> pandemic life really didn't change other than the fact that no one else in my house left the house so we would come home and we'd be like does anybody want to cook nobody wants to cook you know the DoorDash has who hot mm-hmm. now so you can call the who hot Mongolian grill and you can say take these items grill them on your grill Put them in a box, give them to a guy named Eddie, have Eddie bring them to me at the house, and I will eat them. So do you plan on continuing to do that? Is the second part of the question. I don't plan on it, but I, I, it should be noted that I'm a very fat man for a reason, and part of that reason is because a lot of times when something sounds like a good idea and we should totally eat that, my brain says, okay. What about you, Rodrigo? Did you pick up any hobbies? Um, I, I sort of... And it's really just a timing thing. I kind of started getting into this. Um, I've, I've picked up like a refinement of a hobby in the sense that I bought an arcade stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice. And I've, I've been playing uh, fighting games. games with an arcade stick, but also kind of, uh, for example, I was playing uh, this game called Indivisible, whose art I love, but turned out to be, it's like a hybrid platformer RPG. And there's a lot more platformer in there than I feel I was initially promised. Mm. And I'm bad at platformers. So I, I bought it, played it a little bit, couldn't, couldn't beat the platforming stuff, left it alone. And then when I got my arcade stick, I started playing it again. And even though I've sort of put it aside again, um, I got way farther because playing with that arcade stick actually kind of made it easier for me. Um, I guess my, my thumbs are not as dexterous as uh as sort of like my ability to use the rest of my you know both of my hands and each individual finger on the buttons to to actually tackle those platformers right because eventually platformers get to this point where you are um you have abilities that allow you to traverse space or hold your jumps or whatever and those are all mapped to different buttons so in order to clear a ledge you have to jump use the spear to like hook yourself onto something fling yourself over, do a double jump and whatever. So that's a lot easier to do with a, with a stick yeah. for me. Uh, I started doing astrophotography in February, just before everything shut down. And I tried to continue it through March, but then I just got so, you know, in a funk uh, over, you know, the pandemic and not being able to really go out and do anything. I tried to slip out a couple of times. Actually, there's a picture that I took, I think in March or April, 
where I went out at two o'clock in the morning uh, to some farmer's field and did a beautiful shot of the Milky Way that I really, really love. Uh, but then it was either cloudy, full moon or, you know, horrible wind and rain. And so for a lot of the summer and for the last year, I really haven't had a chance to go and do some stuff. I did some stuff in um, December and then again in January as I've, I've gotten my skills a little bit better and setting up some equipment and getting it to work in the backyard as opposed to having to go somewhere to go and shoot. Um, and it's something I definitely plan on on doing again. I've even got a few YouTube videos that I was doing uh, last year that you can go check out on my personal web page on YouTube, Stephen Schleicher. Uh, but that's something that I really enjoy and I really want to do a lot more of right now. I'm just waiting to get some funds to buy a new camera to do the uh, to do the picture. So that's what that's what I've been doing. Jimmy asks, and this is kind of an NFT question. I've got a, a pretty good answer for this. Uh, wizard appears in front of you. He offers you a choice. He would either use his magic to switch your right foot and your left foot, making walking difficult and inconvenient for the rest of your life. Or you must select one episode of the Major Spoilers podcast to be turned into an F NFT and put up for auction. Which do you pick? And if it's the latter, which episode would you choose to become an NFT? Um, my thought is I wouldn't take a previous episode because those are out in the public. Uh, I would create an original episode, kind of like the Wu-Tang uh, original C CD, you know, that uh, Scarelli brought. Uh, I, I would do that. I would have a Major Spoilers podcast original episode as an NFT. That's what I would do. And that's something actually Scott and uh, I were talking about this past week on the morning stream when I was on there. The NFT question came up and I said, I would definitely do an original podcast that is a one of a kind as an NFT that people can. And so, I mean, the idea with the NFTs is Jimmy buys it because he really wants to listen to it. Now that he's done with it, he's going to sell it to somebody else for more money. And, you know, uh, Jimmy makes his money. And then the way the NFT is supposed to be set up, I get a cut of that as well. So I will always get like 10% of every sale. So Jimmy sells it to another person and that person sells it to another person. And uh, by the time that we get to our uh, 5,000th uh, listener of this show that's been passed around, you know, the, the price of that one episode is $5,000 and I'm getting 10% of that every time it gets sold. So that's what I would do. Hmm. Yeah. I would, I would probably do the one where Steven talks about that one being in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you wouldn't want the one where I describe um, uh, the history of all the Robins in detail with no, no, uh, with mean, no hyperbole the... or editorializing. Yeah, that that was a good one. You know, it's like we yeah. have so many good episodes. I know it's yeah. it's, it's hard. hard. Choose, I mean, yeah. what episode is this? Like the nine thousandth episode? Nine hundred and twenty-one. Mm. We will hit a thousand episodes soon. It, it's coming yeah, up. It, it'll come up within the next uh, two years. J. Michael T says DC rebooted again. Thoughts? Eh, I don't care. I don't think they actually rebooted again. I think they actually unbooted. But yeah, I also don't care. Uh, is there any good U.S. comics? This is from Alagnus. This is our final question this week. Uh, is there any good comics for kids between five and 13 or so that are not superheroes or Star Wars or anything like that? I do like to send my younger relatives in the U.S. comic books, but right now that's mostly uh, Spiro, Tintin, Asterix, and so on. I would not mind broadening my horizons and maybe find something more modern, but still an adventure. The adventure part is important. I don't hate superhero comics for kids. I just think variation is good. Best sword and sorcery comic. Oh, so that's that's this first question. Um, you know, what I have found is that a lot of kids between the age of five and 13 don't like reading comic books. Or at least they say they don't like reading comic books. But man, they sure go nuts for Captain Underpants. They sure go nuts for Dogman. They sure go nuts for Hilo. And guess what? Those are all comic books. So if you want sure. to go and check out uh, stuff that is not, well, 
Hilo's kind of superheroes because Hilo is from uh, outer space. But um, all the rest of that stuff, and Captain Underpants is, of course, a superhero, but kids just eat that stuff up left and right. Uh, yeah. So I would look at that kind of stuff and see if that's if see if that's what they're into. Um, what is it? Uh, Dave, Dave Patel or whatever his name is that does the uh, the dog man and Captain Underpants. Um, <laughs> Dev Pilkey. Yeah, that's it. Pilkey. My youngest always corrects me on that because I always say Dave Patel and he's like, no, dad, it's it's Pilkey. And he gets you're kind thinking, of irate. You're at thinking that. of Dev Patel. Yes. From Slumdog Millionaire. Yes, exactly. And also that wonderful movie, um, The Life of Charles Dickens that he did recently, which is fantastic uh, that you guys should I watch. Seen that. I haven't seen that. Yet. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts on some comics? I mean, if it was superhero stuff, I've been really big on the IDW Marvel action series, but that's again, Marvel superhero stuff. Um, my little pony IDW has, if they're into my little pony, my kid has been into a bunch of manga stuff and you know, they're a little older than kid kid. I mean, practically an adult, but if you look at stuff like, um, Hikaru no Go or, uh, what is it? Uh, Yatsuba something like that. I think Agretzico is probably not child friendly. Not really. But I mean, it's, it's she's pretty into a bunch of stuff. Yeah. This is specifically five to 13. So that may be a little bit uh, like the cinema much. roll stuff. I mean, one of the things that I'm really finding, um, with looking the for adventure. Folk, yeah. But what I'm finding with the younger folk is that their adventure is actually not the same kind of adventure that we like Yeah, because they like people who have happy adventures and live together and are best friends. And then things sort of happen. Rather than, you know, people who are, you know, constantly fighting or forced to yell yeah. at each other. And my, stuff. my little pony friendship is magic is almost at its 100th uh, issue over at IDW publishing. That's something to check yeah. out. Uh, Sonic the, the Hedgehog Kingdom Hearts stuff. Is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Rodrigo, do you have any any suggestions? Um, well, I did mention bone before bone is, you know, you can buy the, the color uh versions of bone in sort of like smaller trades yeah, yeah, that aren't yeah. like the giant brick mm -hmm. um so that i mean uh, you know bone gets serious it's an adventure that gets serious but you know so is harry potter for example right so it's kind of that idea that it's that starts out light and and gets you know the stakes get higher um you know mouse guard was good mouse guard is just kind of straight up high mm -hmm. adventure for mm -hmm. um you know and there's some like bigger themes that go on there but i feel like definitely uh the early chapter so like mm -hmm. was it like fall 11 26 or whatever 11 52 yeah um like that's that's mostly just like kind of a, an adventure book and, and you know mice do kill each other and stuff but the fact that they're like little mousies also kind of softens that a little bit you know the bad guys are like snakes scary and birds snakes and, and crabs and yeah. stuff um it's also like gloriously uh, drawn yeah um so from from that perspective definitely uh and and to 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 go with japanese comics i don't know how available they are but uh get them into gone mm -hmm. yeah. little little dinosaurs got no words no words if so if they're on the high end of that range and you know necessarily uh if they're how shall we say responsible with language uh, lock and key could be interesting, but I mean, yeah, that's if they're, if they're getting into that, day. yeah, mm -hmm. that young adult mm -hmm. reading range, you, know, you want the kid who only throws F bombs when they're not at home. 
if they're going to read that <laughs> oh, book. You probably want to give it to your kids that throw the F-bombs when they think mom and dad aren't in the room, but we're walking up the stairs and we can hear them cursing at each other over their game. So, yeah. You know, the other uh, the thing best... is, is that um, if, if there is a piece of literature that's like an adventure for kids that's written in English, that's almost certainly a comic adaptation, mm -hmm. right? Yep. There's comic adaptations yep. of The Hobbit. Actually, the adaptation of The Last Unicorn, the comic adaptation is really good. The art is really good, and it uh, kind of expands the the what what happens in the movie. Yep. You'd have to you'd have to figure out if The Last Unicorn is something you actually want your uh, you know <laughs> uh, your kids reading mm -hmm. or, or watching because mm -hmm. it is kind of dark. Yeah, it's but got that one scene where the unicorn kind of stabs everybody. Adventure, fantasy, old school kind of kids' fair that I think adults right now are like, well, maybe I don't want to expose my kids to this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, the other thing you might want to check out is look and see what Scholastic is doing. Scholastic is probably the, I mean, they're the ones that do Dogman and, and uh, uh, Captain Underpants and Hilo and all that stuff. Yeah, I would definitely check out and see what they're offering up because. They have typed, they have tapped into something that makes kids want to buy that stuff. I mean, that's the only reason why uh, my youngest um, got into these is because it was something that Scholastic was pushing through the book fair. And he was like, oh, this looks good. I'm going to buy it. Um, so you might want to look in there and see, because this is why all three of those books sell just those three titles alone. And I suppose you could take all the volumes and everything that they've released. They have sold more copies of those three titles and their volumes than the entire comic book industry has in probably the last five years. Yeah, that's and that's how popular those are. Stephen touched on something very important, I think, at least with my kid that you may want to look into is rather than trying to pick something out for them, maybe take them to a place or, you know, give them an option if you're someone further away of, hey, here are some things that I thought might be interesting. Which do you think you'd be into? Because having the ability to say, yeah, this interests me, that kind of agency isn't something that a kid always gets. And it's really nice to see what would they pick if you gave them the chance. And that'll give you a better idea of what you can mm -hmm. pick for them in the future, too. Yep. That uh, is finally. nice. My, my, my nephew's just like, I basically send comics to my sister. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> censor these. Like, either give them to them or don't. <laughs> So they just have like this random collection of like old my old X-Men, like free comic book day comics, like and it, it's like me. That's how I, that's the comics that I grew up reading. My dad had like a random Captain America comic with that guy who had razors for hands. Um, oh, yeah, razor and, like hands. a weird a weird Spider-Man from the 70s and some like translated Superman stuff. It's like, yeah. 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 Final final question. Rigo's cute nephews Huey, Louie and Zipe Totec. Yep. Final question. Fries on pizza, yes or no? I don't care. If you like to eat fries on pizza, go for it. I'm not. Thank you. Never had fries on pizza, but I have a pizza that I love that has uh, loaded baked potato on it. So yeah, potato on pizza can be good. I wouldn't necessarily say fries on every pizza, but you know. You do, you I mean, man. seriously, at this point, I'm, I don't want to get into those arguments of pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. If you like pineapple on pizza, eat it. Yeah. I, I was I was uh, if freaked out the first time one of my Japanese friends uh, had corn and shrimp on their pizza. And they're like, no, this is the way we eat it in, in Japan. I'm like, fine, go ahead, do it. Um, if that's what you want on your pizza, put it on your pizza. If you want to put a taco on your pizza, put a taco on your pizza. 
If you want to put like anchovies on your pizza, go for it. I, whatever floats your boat, do it. And don't let anyone tell you that you're gross. I may not yeah. like it, but I'm not going to stop you from eating it. Rodrigo, what about you? So, so is the, is the fries on the pizza thing, is that something that came out of the UK or something? Who knows? I, 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 I don't follow the all thing. the memes. So know your meme fries on pizza. Every, every once in a while, <laughs> every once in a while, I will see someone online that is just freaking out because they just discovered what a chip buddy is. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's like every country has poor people food. Like, right. Also, asterisk, it's probably the best food in that country. Right. <laughs> it's like everything well, that you, you're like, oh, let me have. Let me have these tacos that are made out of like viscera. Oh, delicious. It's like, yeah, that's that's the cheap stuff, right? So I did a um, search for pizza fries or fries on pizza, but I came up with a response of pizza fries, which is basically a basket of fries covered with pepperoni and mozzarella cheese. That actually sounds good. Sure. The way I understand it, uh, French fries on pizza uh, was invented by people who wanted to carb load. Mm. which sure. is one of the reasons why I wouldn't do it. Having a diabetic child in the house, but yeah, yeah. Everything, so, everything on know your meme is, is this picture of the basket of fries with pizza toppings on it. I, that's fine. That, that doesn't, that so, doesn't freak so yeah, me out. My, my, my second kids. thought on, on that is <laughs> um, in Mexico, right. traditionally people that went out to work on the fields would have tamales with tortillas and atole mm-hmm. and tamales are made out of corn uh, flour, tortillas are made out of corn, atole is made out of corn. So they would basically just eat 10,000 million calories worth of carbohydrates mm-hmm. and then go work. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, I can't look anybody in the face and say there's too much starch in anything. Yeah. 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 Corn it up. All right. Yep. Well, thank you everybody for all of those great questions. We'll do another mailbag in the near future, but next week it's going to be Young Heroes in Love. The uh, what is it? The 18 issue uh, series from 1997 from DC Comics should be really that matter. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that next week. But uh, in the meantime, uh, don't forget, you can send us an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Make sure you join our discord. Check out our Patreon. Seriously, if you've been sitting on the fence and you want to support everything that we do, then get in for that uh, 10 for 12. Uh, pay for uh, 10 months and get 12 months of stuff when you sign up for that yearly subscription over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And we'll be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's Ray Vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler.
it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun being in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Whoa, 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 whoa. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.